The Lord be with you. And also with you. Please be seated. And as we begin, let, let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we are gathered once again today, this evening, to hear your word from Hebrews, we pray that you will grant us the wisdom of your spirit to see your son Jesus Christ more clearly and to follow him more surely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our friends, we continue with our series on the book of Hebrews, uh, today particularly looking at um, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 14 to chapter 5, verse 10, beginning on page 1194, if you are following this in the Church Bible. And there is also in the middle of the bulletin uh, a sermon guide with some space for you to take notes if you are doing so. And today we will uh, consider this passage under a very big picture, general theme of unfolding or revealing the perfection of Jesus. But let me start with a very simple question, and uh, you can answer, put up your hand. Of course, if you don't know the answer, just don't put up your hand. Does anyone here know what a matrioska doll is, or have seen one? Or maybe even fortunate enough to own one? Does anybody? Oh, don't worry about it. It must be my Russian uh, accent. Uh, for those of us who do not know, a Matryoshka doll is the iconic Russian doll, which can have anything from, two, uh, from three to even 20 dolls nesting within each other. Do you know what I'm talking about now? Yeah, Matryoshka dolls. So in size then, the biggest one will perhaps be about two feet tall, about 10 inches wide. And uh, uh, as you open them up, and when you reach up to the 20th doll, it's a small little fella, which is about an inch or even half an inch big. But all brightly painted, all exactly and perfectly painted in vivid colors. Most of the time, it is representing uh, with characters that, that comes from the Bible or with the uh, biblical seasons or um, maybe some uh, on famous world uh, figures, political figures, or maybe some depicting the countries which requested for them, uh, like, for example, China or, or the Britain. And I'm told, I haven't seen one of these yet, I'm told that the latest one, which is quite expensive, is uh, about Donald Trump and his family. So if you're interested in collecting these things, uh, you might want to know. In a way, the Patrosco dolls represents for us what the book of Hebrews is all about. Because as we open one chapter after another, or one passage after another, it is like we are opening up the nest of Patrioska dolls. Each passage reveals something new to us as the writer continues to show more and more of what our Lord Jesus Christ is all about. We have seen how he has written about Jesus' supremacy, his nature, his power, his mission in obedience to his Father, his faithfulness, and his promise of rest. And at each stage, just as we are opening up this door, at each stage, the reader is warned, don't give up, don't fall away, don't miss out. 
Today, Hebrews is going to show us from our passage that Christ is the perfect choice of God the Father for our salvation. The Son of God who was sent down to save us and who is the perfect salvation to all who trust in Him. And don't harden your hearts when you hear this message. Don't harden your hearts like the Exodus generation did and fell away and died in the wilderness. Turn with me now to your Bibles or apps or to page 1194 as we uh, look at this passage from Hebrews 4.14 to 5.10. And friends, before we dive deep into the text, just let me warn you, uh, there are three possible problem, problematical questions in our passage, and I shall be drawing our attention to each one of them as we come to it. And we shall be looking at the text in three parts, as your uh, sermon guide will show you. Uh, the first one, Jesus as a human high priest, uh, from 4.14 to 16. The second one, Jesus as the eternal high priest in the first six verses of chapter 5, and Jesus as the source of our eternal salvation from verses 7 to 10. So looking at the text, Jesus, the human high priest, from 4.14 to 16. And he's just not a human high priest. He is the glorified son of God, we read. Not just a man. We read in verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. And if we go back to the last two verses of our chapter, to verses 12 and 13 of uh, chapter 4, we are told that we cannot hide anything from God who sees everything, even deep inside our heart. He is able to see in deep inside our hearts to the deepest thoughts that we have, all those naughty things that run around inside of us. And this is very scary. I don't know about you, but this is very scary because we know ourselves how sinful, how sinful and rebellious we can be and how disobedient of God we can be. But Hebrews said this, don't worry, don't worry. But in giving us this assurance, Hebrews points us to the first of our challenging problems. What does Hebrew mean by saying Jesus who has passed through the heavens? Does it mean he's riding on the clouds and riding through the heavens? Well, the simple answer is Jesus wants us to re realize that this is the glorified Jesus Christ who has died for us, who has been raised from the dead, who has ascended or passed through the heavens and who is now in the presence of God his Father and who now acts as our priest, mediating between God and us. And he is uniquely qualified to do this, for he has been a man before. He has been a weak man, and he has been tempted in his weakness as a man. And so he can sympathize with all the temptations that we as human beings face on a daily basis, on a momentary basis. But yet, unlike us, Jesus did not sin. Let us read on. In 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And though Jesus is the Son of God, though He is divine, nonetheless, He is fully human. He feels and understands everything about uh, what being a human being is like, what a weak human being is like, tempted to sin. 
He faced the same physical and spiritual temptations that tried to separate him from his father. Oh, friends, temptations for us are always followed by sinful actions. Um, we have something in our heart, we think something naughty, and then it is followed up with the wrong actions. We do something wrong to our brothers and sisters. We say something wrong to them. We cheat them. We talk bad about them because we sin. Thoughts in our hearts, thoughts in our minds are followed up by action. But for Jesus, when he was tempted as a human, it never led to sinful action. A Christian theologian thinks that the words uh, without sin means there is no pool or attraction to sin in Jesus' human nature. Now, let, to be able to understand that, let's look back at uh, originally how Adam and Eve were before the fall in the Garden of Eden. They were able to stand before the Holy God because they were sinless, they were created sinless, just like, he, just like Jesus was when he came to us as a human being. But what happened when they were tempted? They gave in, and they sinned. Why? Why did they do that? It is because Adam and Eve think about themselves. What is good about themselves? Uh, how they can compete with God to know everything there is to know. Not about the things or the good that God has set for them. They think about themselves. They become self-centered rather than God-centered. But Jesus in contrast to us, in his, in his human life, never gave in because he kept his heart, his will, and his mind only of God, his Father, and what God has sent him to do. So, in such a person, we can put our whole trust. This is what verse 16 says. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can find strength, not of ourselves or in ourselves, but of and in Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus, we can find mercy. In Jesus, we can find grace in our times of temptation to sin. We are sinful, but Jesus is perfect. We can therefore stand perfectly forgiven only in Jesus. And He gives us this confidence as He is now with the Father, God the Father. Our friends, Human beings will fail you. Even your dearest friend or your dearest family members will fail you. But Jesus Christ will never fail you. He will not let you down. In Jesus, we can therefore draw near to God, the throne of grace. So Hebrews tells us, trust in Jesus Christ. Now we come to the second part of our, our passage, uh, talking about Jesus, the eternal high priest. Uh, in the first six verses of chapter 5, a priest as a gentle and understanding mediator. In verse 1 of chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews now wants us to understand what being a high priest means. We can see two things in this verse. First of all, this high priest is chosen among men. That is to say, he's a human being uh, chosen among men. And secondly, this a uh, human high priest is to act on behalf of other human beings as a go-between between the human and God himself. He presents gifts and sacrifices to God for their sins. Now, when Moses led uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt, 
God gave him very specific details, very specific commands uh, on the types and way or, or rituals of offering gifts and sacrifices that are needed to deal with sin. And Hebrews now reminds us that we too are a sinful people and need the services of the high priest to act upon on our behalf. We shall see in a short while that Hebrews is not, just not talking about any old priest the, that will do, but a very special one, and we'll see more of that in detail. In verse 2, Hebrews went on, He, this human high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. A high priest is not just there to wear special clothes and uh, 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 put himself above uh, uh, ordinary people. It's not there to just perform the rituals mechanically without understanding uh, the people uh, or the feelings of the people that he is dealing with. He must be sympathetic and kind-hearted when dealing with each sinful person. He can only do this because he himself understands his own human weakness and his own human sin. A high priest who places himself high above the people he represents will not be able to do his work effectively. In verse 3, Hebrews tells us the high priest himself is also required to offer sacrifices for his personal sins as well. So he understands very well just how helpless each human being is, including himself. But being a priest is not, not just a casual thing or not just a hobby or just a job to earn a living or to put on clothes, as I mentioned before, special clothes that make you feel good and look good and uh, put you above everyone. It's not a casual thing. It is a very serious matter. Priesthood is answering God's call to serve His people. In other words, priesthood is a God-appointed ministry. Now, we find this written in verse 4. No one takes this honour for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Because no one can set himself to be the high priest or the pastor of God's people. He must be called by God. In other words, he must be called or handpicked by God, just as Israel's first high priest, Aaron, was called by God to do so. And now we come to the second part in verse 5, which is Jesus as the eternal high priest. In verse 5, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son today, I have begotten you. In that same way too, Jesus did not appoint himself as high priest. It was God who appointed him as high priest over his people. And when did God do this? Well, if we look back at verse 14, we see that Hebrews is connecting Jesus' ascending and passing through the heavens to sit at God's throne of grace in verse 16 to his being described as a suitable, perfect high priest without sin. Jesus, the Son of God, has returned to his rightful place of glory by God's side in heaven. And at this point, with the added function from God, if you like, our, high, our great high priest in heaven. And so we come to this second um, of our problematical questions. What does Hebrew mean by Jesus being begotten? You see, when we read the word begotten, we always think of, Jesus, uh, of uh, the word meaning created uh, or born. 
But that's why some cults have taken the word begotten. That's found here in Hebrews, quoting from Psalm 2 to deny the divinity of Jesus. They say Jesus is just an ordinary person because he was begotten by God. But the Greek phraseology used here to describe Jesus as being begotten carries the meaning of not uh, carry does not carry the meaning of uh, created, but carries the meaning to be set aside for something special. It does not mean to be created. We uses a different phraseology in the Greek. So God's Son, Jesus Christ, has been sent and set aside to become the high priest of God's people, a very special task indeed. Uh, this understanding is very, uh, very important for us because now we must understand we have a high priest who is God's son, who sits at God's right hand, who is speaking to God for us on our behalf on a momentary, on a momentary basis. And Hebrews continue to describe what sort of priest this is. In verse 6, he says, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This one quotes from Psalm 110 that we sang just now. And if you remember in Genesis 14, Abraham met Melchizedek after he rescued his nephew Lot from the pagan king, Kedoh Laoma. Melchizedek was described as both king and priest. And he blessed Abraham, the forefather of God's chosen people, Israel. The Bible then goes on to tell us that this order of priesthood is far superior to those to that which will come from Levi, the descendant of uh, Abraham. And Jesus, who is descended from the line of David, from whom come all the kings of Israel, is both king and now priest of the order of Melchizedek. And one day he will return as king and judge to bring us to be with him forever. And so to the last part of our passage, uh, Jesus, the source of our eternal salvation, uh, from verse 7 to verse 10. He did this through human anguish and suffering. In the days of his flesh, verse 7 says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. The passage comes back, brings us back, to Jesus, the divine, the divine Son of God, who came to earth to suffer as a weak human being. In the days of his flesh, as a man, Jesus prayed to God with loud cries and tears. In our Old Testament reading from uh, Isaiah 53, we hear of the suffering servant of God, a man of sorrows who knows or experiences grief, one despised by others, yet carried our griefs and sorrows, appears for our sins, crushed for our wrongdoings, so that by his suffering we may have peace with God. By his wounds we may be healed, and by his death we may be made righteous before God. Friends, we can identify this suffering servant with Jesus who has been sent to save us. The Son of God, who became just like us, a weak human being, subject to temptation and sin. And Jesus knew just what was coming, how much torture and pain and suffering he would have to go through, and the horrible, horrible death that will come to him on the cross. 
The Gospel of Luke describes Jesus' anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, uh, how his sweat fell like drops of blood onto the ground. All three synoptics tell us of the most heartbreaking prayer that Jesus made to his Father. If thou will, let this cup pass from me, not as I will, but as thou will. He cries out in his human agony. And today we read uh, from Mark, as Jesus hung on the cross, Jesus cried out in his dying breath, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the words he was heard do not mean that God has delivered him so that he didn't have to die. He went on to die for us. It did not mean that he didn't have to die. The words just describe the human Jesus in his agony, crying out to the Lord as he feels the pain and the suffering and as he feels the shadow of death creeping up on him, crying out to his God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatani. It must have been so tempting to use the power of the Son of God. He was eternally powerful. Through him and in him was whole creation created. It must have been so very tempting as a human being to use that power to escape from this suffering. Yet, Jesus didn't do so. His trust in his God was perfect. Jesus obeyed perfectly to the end and he died for us. On that cross, Jesus died for us so that we may be saved. And we read from verses 9 to 10 this way. Uh, Hebrews write this way. And being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we come to our final problematical question. What does Hebrew mean by saying that Jesus was made perfect? Does that mean he was not perfect before some flaw in him? This uh, is our last of our problems. And one way of understanding this, uh, of understanding that Jesus being made perfect, is first look at the status of the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood has never been perfect. We find in the book, in the pages of the, the Bible, lots of stories about the Levitical priests that do all kinds of things, even up to... Um, um, uh, Jesus' time where they cheat people and they do all sorts of sinful things. The Levitical priesthood has never been perfect. But the Melchizedek order of priesthood is a perfect eternal one. And if we look through very quickly 1,500 years of history to Jesus' life as a man uh, among us, we see Jesus by his perfect life of obedience to his Father even unto death, Jesus shows us what a perfect man is like. Thus, Jesus being made perfect can be understood to mean that Jesus, the perfect man, fulfilled his God-given task to save the world. He has now become the perfect high priest of the order of Melchizedek in heaven. By his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, Jesus has become our perfect salvation. We didn't read this verse in Mark 15, but if you go back to Mark 15, 38, you will find Mark describing that the three-inch heavy temple veil 
was rent into two when Jesus died. When Jesus died, it was rent in two from top to bottom. God heard his son's cry. God heard his son's cry for the sin of the world. And God, with this sign, signifies that there is no longer any need for the Levitical priesthood anymore. We now have Jesus, and we don't need anything else or anybody else. Jesus, the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him. Now, friends, here we must uh, be able to learn something from Jesus also. The suffering will come to us as we seek to lead holy lives as disciples of Jesus. And in the world of evil and sin, what do you expect? Suffering is unavoidable for those who need, uh, for those uh, who seek to lead holy lives as Jesus' disciples. Because the world wants us to be just as sinful as the world is. The world wants us to be self-centered, not Christ-centered. The world wants to feel good, so they want us to feel good, so that we make ourselves feel good and don't care about other people when they don't feel good. The world wants us to be self-centered, not Christ-centered. It will laugh at us. This morning as I was driving in um, to service, I was thinking to myself, these crazy Christians, you know, are fighting the crowds and the traffic jams in order to come to church for an hour. And the, 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 the jam was all the way up to the roundabout. And furthermore, it will laugh at us, these crazy Christians trying to come to church, marginalize or keep us to one side. It will even persecute us and even remove from us the protection of the law that we are entitled to. But friends, you know what? We must not give up. Just as Jesus trusted perfectly in God his Father, so too we must learn to trust Jesus completely. Because Jesus is the perfect salvation, we must learn to trust in his teachings and his commands for us. And though we are weak and will fail many times, we are confident that we have a high priest of the order of Melchizedek who is sitting there with God in heaven. So in conclusion, I would like us to bring back three things, not KFC, but TFC. Well, the first, T, we can trust Jesus because though He is the divine Son of God who existed from the beginning, from before the beginning of time with God, He became a man just like us. As a man, He was tempted to sin, but He was the perfect man who never sinned. He obeyed perfectly His Father. He suffered for us and died for us on that cross so that we can be saved. He is the source of our eternal salvation. We are weak, but Jesus is strong. He will always be faithful to us. So trust in Jesus. Secondly, F. We can follow Jesus' example. Our Jesus obeyed his Father and suffered for us. He knows what it's like to be a human being who is weak and easily tempted. But by his perfect example, we too can live holy lives, loving Jesus and loving our neighbours as ourselves. How difficult though that may be. We are not perfect like him, and so we need always to be prayerful. We need always to be able to help each other, uh, each brother and sister, and share with them their joy and their uh, sorrow as each one comes up. We need to rely not on ourselves, but on the strength of Jesus' spirit 
to see us through. The third thing, C. We can be certain of our salvation. We know that we cannot earn salvation by ourselves, and we also know that we don't have to do this anymore because Jesus has done all that for us. The Son of Man had become a man, to suffer as a man, to test death as a man. He became our source of our salvation, and we can be saved in Him. So right now, even as we struggle within ourselves against temptation and sin, we know that there will be many times when we will fail. We will fail desperately, even though we try very, very hard. We will fail. You can be guaranteed of that. But Jesus has assured us, because He is our great high priest who sits at God's right hand and speaks to God about us every moment of our lives, Jesus can help us to be strong, not by ourselves, but in His Spirit. And one day at the end of history, Jesus will come again. This time, He won't come as high priest. He will come as king and judge and will bring us to be with Him forever. So friends, trust in Jesus, follow His example, and be sure and certain of our salvation. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for saving us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that your Spirit will give us the strength to persevere against the temptation and sin until Jesus comes for us to bring us home to be with him. In his mighty name we pray.